Please take a seat. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that our Savior is a risen Savior. We thank you that he has suffered death for us, and as well as this has conquered death for us. Now he is alive forevermore. And tonight, as we come to Luke's account of the resurrection story, we pray that you would grant gracious help to me and gracious help to each one of us tonight as we consider these things that we might respond to the news of the resurrection in the right way for your glory's sake and in Jesus name we pray amen well if I can ask you please to have uh, open in front of you those words we read earlier on in our service we're looking at the last little bit of Luke uh, 23 and then the first little bit of Luke 24, the burial and then the resurrection of Jesus. And I'd like us to take notice really of three aspects of Luke's account uh, this evening. And we'll dive straight in. The first is this. I want us to notice what Luke has to say to us about the reliability of the resurrection. The reliability of the resurrection. We're getting uh, very close to the end now of Luke's uh, epic account of the life of Jesus. But I wonder if you remember what the very first thing Luke said to us was in the very first paragraph of his gospel. He told us the, the reason why he was writing these things. And the reason that he gives there in the opening verses of the the whole gospel is as follows. He says to his friend Theophilus, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And you see, Luke's gospel is all about us being certain about the things that we've learned about Jesus. And that is never more true than with the resurrection of Jesus. This is where the whole Christian faith stands or falls, isn't it? This question, did Jesus really rise from the dead or not? And if he did, then it means the Christian faith is the ultimate answer to all of mankind's greatest needs and greatest problems. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the whole thing, the whole edifice of Christianity is all just a sham. And that's why Luke wants us to be certain about the things that we've been taught concerning Jesus. And he wants us to know that the resurrection story is absolutely reliable. It really did happen. It's true history. And as Luke tells us this story of the burial and then the resurrection of Jesus, again and again, time and again, he shows us why this is a reliable account. So let's just trace this theme of reliability through these verses. Firstly, he goes to great lengths, doesn't he, to show us how reliable 
uh, one particular character in the story was. That is Joseph of Arimathea. He says, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. This is a key character, of course, in the story, isn't it? This is the person who took the body of Jesus down from the cross and then buried it in the tomb. And Luke is showing to us here, the body of Jesus was not just taken by anybody. No, it was taken by this particular person, Joseph, who was indeed a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. In Mark's gospel, we're actually told that Joseph was a respected member of this council, someone whose word was trusted, someone who had an excellent reputation in society and within the Sanhedrin as well. And this is the man who took care of the body of Jesus and placed it in his own tomb. He's a reliable person. And then secondly, Luke mentions just in in passing that Pilate himself verified that Jesus really had died. Now again, Mark gives us a, a bit more information than Luke's brief account. Mark says that Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. So Pilate, we know, double-checked that Jesus really, really was dead. He didn't just take Joseph's word for it. Pilate did due diligence. He went to the Roman centurion, asked him, who came back to him with the report, yes, Jesus is confirmed dead. And then thirdly, Luke tells us that these women saw where the body had been buried. Verse 55, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then we come to these amazing words at the start of chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The women had come to the tomb early that morning with the intention of preparing the body of Jesus for burial. But, of course, they're in for a shock. When they arrive, the tomb is already open. On the way, they'd been talking about how they were going to get the big stone moved from the entrance of the tomb. But the job has already been done for them. Not only is the tomb open, but even more incredibly, the tomb is also empty. What has happened to the body of Jesus? And there are, I think, really five main arguments against the resurrection. And Luke, along with the other gospel writers, deals with all five of them in presenting this reliable account of the events of that weekend. The first argument is that Jesus never really died, at least not at this point. Uh, Somehow he survived the flogging, he survived the crucifixion, he then uh, fell into some kind of coma 
whilst he was on the cross. And then when he was in the tomb, he came round again. He then managed to unbandage himself. He managed to push the, the large stone away from the entrance of the tomb, from the inside. He managed to fight the armed Roman guard with hands that had been pierced. And then he ran off and made his escape on feet that had been pierced. And then a little while later appeared fit and healthy shortly afterwards. It is, of course, a ridiculous argument, isn't it, to say that Jesus never actually died. And it's undermined as well here, isn't it, by the the fact that the Romans double-checked. They had it confirmed that Jesus really was dead. And then the second argument against the resurrection is that the disciples were responsible for stealing the body. It's a rumor that was spread, of course, even in those earliest of days. And yet the disciples didn't have any means or any motive nor any opportunity of doing so. They were scared of the Romans. They were in hiding at this point. They had no reason to try and steal the body. And the the third argument is that It was not the disciples who stole the body, but rather it was the enemies of Jesus, perhaps the Romans or perhaps the Jews. And again, it doesn't make any sense, does it? uh, Because as soon as the claims about the resurrection begin on that Sunday morning, those who had stolen the body could simply have produced the body and disproved the claims of Christianity within just a few hours. Nip it in the bud. Stop it dead in its tracks. Then the the fourth argument is that maybe the the women were just mistaken that morning and that they just went to the wrong tomb that morning. But again, as Luke has shown us with his account of the resurrection, uh, we know, first of all, which tomb Jesus ended up in, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Not only do we know that, but also the women themselves knew that because Luke has told us they went there on the Friday. They saw exactly where the body of Jesus was laid, which tomb and where in the tomb he was laid. They know that they've come to the right place. And the fifth and the the final argument against the resurrection is that it was just someone else, grave robbers, who took the body of Jesus for some unknown reason which we cannot fathom. But again, it doesn't fit with the account that we have of the resurrection. Why and how would these grave robbers risk their own lives to go and attack and overpower the armed Roman guards and then having done so, got into the tomb and then hung around there to unwrap the body of Jesus and fold up the grave clothes and leave them there before taking then the naked body of Jesus away with them. Again, it just doesn't make sense, does it? None of the arguments against the resurrection make any sense. The gospel accounts and Luke's accounts stand up against them as reliable accounts of the resurrection. And it leaves us with the only credible explanation being the one that the women heard that morning at the tomb as they're standing there perplexed about what this open and empty tomb means. They're in then for another shock, even bigger than what they'd experienced already. They see these two men, angels in the form of men, standing there in dazzling clothing. And the women realize that these are angelic beings. They're frightened and they bow their faces to the ground. But the angels speak to them in order to reassure them and to explain to them what has happened. 
And they say to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And of course, on a number of different occasions, Jesus had predicted that this is exactly what would happen. In particular, think back to Luke chapter 9 when Jesus had said to his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And now those words of Jesus have come wonderfully true. He has risen, just like he said he would. There is no other adequate explanation for the events of that morning. And so see what Luke shows us here about the reliability of the resurrection. These things are written so that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. And then having seen the reliability of the resurrection, let's then see what Luke shows us about the responses to the resurrection. The responses to the resurrection. What are people going to make of this news that Jesus has risen from the dead? And Luke shows us three different responses that took place that morning. Of course, there were more responses than this. There are responses that he doesn't speak about, but he, he focuses on three different responses as he tells us the story. And the first response is, of course, the response of these women, uh, the first people to hear the news of the resurrection. And you'll notice that there are two parts to the response of these women. The first is that they remembered the words of Jesus. And we don't know how many times Jesus had told his followers that he would rise from the dead. Clearly, it was on numerous occasions that he did so. But of all of his followers, the disciples themselves, the other crowd of followers, and these women, they all forgot what he had said for one reason or another it just didn't sink into their minds and I guess after all it must have seemed just too incredible to believe and especially after having witnessed Jesus being put to death and buried in a tomb the idea of a resurrection must have seemed just so fanciful to them they forgot what Jesus had said about the fact he would rise on the third day and yet at that tomb on the Sunday morning, as they hear the news of the resurrection, those words of Jesus come flooding back into their minds now. They recognize that the resurrection confirms and backs up everything that Jesus said about himself. And above all the other claims that Jesus made about himself, this is the claim that trumps them all, isn't it? The claim that not only would he be killed, but more than that, that he would rise from the dead. And if this claim is true, then all the other claims of Jesus concerning himself must also be true. He really is who he says he is. That's the first and the right response to the news of the resurrection of Jesus, isn't it? Uh, to remember the words of Jesus, to remember all the claims that he makes about himself, and to believe those things. Not just the prediction of his resurrection, but indeed everything that he said about himself is true. And then the second part of the response of these women is that they went and they told people about it. Luke says, returning from the tomb, 
they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And you see, this is news not just to be believed, but to be shared as well. And these women just can't keep it to themselves. Off they go in a hurry and they go back to Jerusalem and they go to the place where they know that the 11 disciples, along with other followers of Jesus, are gathered together, hiding from the authorities. And they share this news of resurrection with them. Remarkably, these women, remember in a society where the word of women was routinely disregarded by society, these women become the first human heralds of the resurrection. And they set us a great example, don't they? That when we hear the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that not only should we remember and believe all the words of Jesus, but also we should go and tell others this news as well. That's how the women responded to the resurrection. And it brings us then to the second of these three responses that Luke wants to highlight for us, and that is the response of the disciples. And to put it bluntly, these disciples hardly cover themselves in glory, do they? Look at what Luke says in verses 10 and 11. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And for now at least... Uh, The disciples just disregard this news of the resurrection. They think that it's just a fairy tale. They think that it's a made-up story. They don't believe it. And they fail to make the connection that the women had made to the words of Jesus, his predictions of how he said this would happen. And for now, their eyes are still blind to the truth of the resurrection. They don't believe it. And it is a response, of course, that so many people make, isn't it? The resurrection is just made up. It didn't really happen. At best, it's a myth. Something that maybe represents some kind of spiritual truth, but it isn't actually historically factual. Or at worst, it's a lie. Something that is intended to deceive gullible people. And for one reason or another, they don't believe the resurrection account. That's the second response to the resurrection in in these verses. But then there's a third, isn't there, that Luke just homes in on. And he homes in on the response of Peter himself. And it's easy to imagine how Peter must have been feeling over the course of that weekend. He denied Jesus three times. Undoubtedly, he's feeling enormous guilt about this, how he'd let down his closest friend in his time of greatest need. And when Peter hears this claim that Jesus is alive again, he latches onto it. He desperately wants it to be true, perhaps more so than any of the other disciples. And so when he hears this story, off he goes to the tomb to check it out. Uh, The Apostle John goes with him, although Luke focuses only on Peter's experience here. And when Peter and John uh, get to the tomb, uh, John 
gets their first pauses at the door. Uh, Peter just goes straight in. He's eager to find out what's really happened. And he finds that things are exactly as the women had described them. Their account was trustworthy, reliable. The tomb was open. The stone was rolled away. The body of Jesus was nowhere to be seen. And there in the place where the body of Jesus had been were the grave clothes folded up neatly. And Luke tells us that Peter went home marveling at what had happened. Now Luke doesn't say that Peter necessarily believed in the resurrection at that point. But we know for sure that he was pondering this. He was weighing it up. He didn't dismiss it and disbelieve it like many of the other disciples had done so. And yet also he didn't accept it as wholeheartedly as the women had done. No, he, he's somewhere in between, isn't he? He investigates it, he ponders it, he, he marvels at, at these things and, and what they might mean. And as Luke shows us these three different responses to the resurrection, again, he's saying to us, his readers, well, what do you make of it? Of these three responses to the resurrection that took place that very morning, where are you at To whom do you relate in this story most closely? Do you believe the words of Jesus like the women did? Are you telling others about the news of this resurrection? Have you dismissed it because you just can't believe it? Or are you somewhere in between, still investigating it, still pondering it, uh, trying to make sense of it all, just like Peter was that morning? I wonder, how have you responded to the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And then there's one more thing I'd like us to consider this evening. We've seen the reliability of the resurrection. We've seen the responses to the resurrection. And I'd like to close with us considering the results of the resurrection or the implications of the the resurrection. In other words, what does it all mean? What difference does it make whether or not Jesus really did rise from the dead? Sometimes people say, well, does it really matter if he rose or not? We've got all of his teachings. Isn't that enough? Does it really matter if Jesus rose from the dead? And of course, it matters enormously, doesn't it? And I'd like us to close by thinking about three results of the resurrection. Firstly this, the resurrection shows us that our sin is paid for. The resurrection shows that our sin is paid for. And as you know, in the moments before he died, and as he hung on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And you know what he meant by those words. What he meant was the price for sin is fully paid. It's finished. Paid for in full, over and done with. And the question is, well, how do we know that that statement of Jesus, it is finished? How do we know that that word of Jesus is true? How do we know that there is not more hell for us to suffer and not more condemnation for us to undergo than what Jesus suffered for us at the cross? Was it really enough? Is the paying for our sin really finished? 
at the cross was all of our punishment paid for there. And it's the resurrection that shows that it is indeed all paid for. As someone has put it, the resurrection is the Father's Amen. To Christ's, it is finished. The resurrection is the Father's Amen. To Christ's, it is finished. If the Father had not been satisfied with the work that Jesus had done at the cross, he would not have raised him from the dead. And so the resurrection shows us that our sin is paid for in full, once and for all, at the cross. The resurrection shows us that there can be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says to the Romans, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The resurrection shows that our sin is paid for. That then leads to the the next result of the resurrection, and that is that our Savior lives. Our Savior lives. He's alive forevermore uh, to intercede for us before his Father in heaven. Uh, John writes, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, He's alive to watch over us in all that we go through in life. He's alive to govern us by his spirit. He's alive to be present with us by his spirit. And, of course, he's alive one day to return to us and to bring salvation to all those who are waiting for him. You see, the resurrection shows us that our Savior lives. And even now, he is keeping us in his care and he will do forevermore. And then finally... The resurrection shows us that our future is secure. The resurrection shows us that our future is secure. And this is the amazing truth that the Apostle Paul unpacks in 1 Corinthians 15, in that whole chapter. Just to home in on a a few verses of it, he, he writes in verse 20 and following, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What Paul means there is this, as fallen people, we have inherited from our first father and our representative Adam, death in all of its facets. That is by nature we're spiritually dead in sin. One day we will face physical death when our body dies and beyond that lies eternal death in hell. Death in all of its facets. And left on our own, that is what we would all experience, death in its fullness, spiritual, physical, and eternal death. That is the the plight of those in Adam. And yet, thank God, there is a second Adam, who is Jesus. And he came into this world to be our representative. And he suffered the death that we deserve. 
And then on the third day, he rose again, triumphant over death. And it makes all the difference in the world and all the difference in eternity if Christ, the second Adam, is your representative instead of the first Adam who failed and brought sin and death into the world. You see, don't you, it means that just as in Adam all die, so also everyone who is in Christ shall be made alive. And just as Jesus himself was raised from the dead and he walked out of his grave 2,000 years ago, everybody who belongs to him will one day be made fully alive, even physically. And they will walk out of their graves when Jesus returns. It's life in all of its fullness, isn't it? That's what Jesus came to give us, life in all of its fullness. Spiritual, physical, and eternal life. Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians 15, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Or as he puts it in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And you see, don't you, what Paul is saying in, in those passages, that if we're in Christ, and because Christ is risen, if we're in him, our future is secure forevermore. And yes, we still face physical death, but it will not have the last word over us because it didn't have the last word over Jesus. In him, we have life in all of its fullness, spiritual, physical, and eternal life. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I hope you do. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have seen tonight just how reliable this account is. There is no good objection to it. And the only good explanation of the evidence is that it is all just as the angels said to the women that morning. He is not here, but has risen. Father, we praise you for the wonderful results of that resurrection. We thank you that it shows us that our sin is fully paid for. And our Savior is alive and he's in heaven and he's ruling over us and defending us and guiding us and interceding for us. We thank you that this all shows us that our future is secure. And just as Christ has been raised, so also all of his people will be made alive when he returns from heaven and transforms our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And when this this mortal body will put on immortality and then we will always be with the Lord forevermore. Father, we pray you'd help us all to respond to this news in the right way, 
like the women, help us to remember the words of Jesus. Help us to realize that the resurrection confirms every claim that Jesus made about himself. Help us to believe in Jesus and then tell others about the news of his death and resurrection. And for those who doubt and those who disbelieve, or for those who are perplexed and still pondering these things, work in their hearts, we pray, to convince them of the truth of Christ's resurrection and all that it means. Our Father, we ask all these things in the name of our risen and ascended Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.